Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Krista Whitney. Krista is the director of the Yiddish Book Center's Wexler Oral History Project. She became interested in Yiddish while studying comparative literature at Smith College. An alumna of the Yiddish Book Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish Program, Krista also completed a fellowship at the Center. It was during that fellowship in which she was played an instrumental role in launching the Wexler Oral History Project. For the past 10 years, she has traveled near and far in search of Yiddish stories. Welcome, Krista. Hello. So good to um, to be in touch remotely, even though we can't see one another in person right now. Um, so thanks for, for joining the conversation today. Sure. Happy to. Um, so I have lots of questions for you today, but I thought maybe if you could just give a little bit of background for our listeners um, about the Wexler Oral History Project, which, well, let's also note, celebrates its 10th anniversary this year. Sure. Yeah. The, the last decade has flown by. <laughs> um, so the, the, the interviews that we do with um, the project are recorded in video. Um, and they're usually about one to two hours long. We interview all kinds of people, but the, the subject of the interviews tends to focus on Yiddish language and culture, um, as you would expect from Yiddish Book Center. Um, but it also touches on, on a lot of different subjects because the interviews take the format of a, what we call a focused life history um, we talk to people about their families, um, their childhood, um, and then, of course, um, their connections to Yiddish language and culture. Um, but the interviews kind of vary in, in their range. And uh, so the collection as a whole really sheds light on a number of different issues related to modern Jewish identity and um, modern Jewish culture. Um, we have inter we've interviewed now over a thousand people, um, and a lot most of those interviews are available to watch on our website. So, the project I think you would hopefully agree with this has grown a lot since those early days. Um, a lot of the work was done in our building in the in the studio and then went and spun out into doing field work. You have tackled sort of topical themed aspects, you know, uh, a series of interviews with descendants of Yiddish writers, musicians, scholars, et cetera, all sort of under these various umbrellas. And as yeah, somebody who uses the collection myself, and I think it's safe to say again um, for most people, um, it became increasingly apparent as this collection grew and um, as a sort of idea behind this evolved, that these interviews in and of themselves were wonderful to listen to, and it was great to capture these stories. But they're also a really rich source material. You know, they, they provide really rich source material. Um, we found that, you know, audiences from scholars and students, journalists, you know, documentary filmmakers, a lot of people have been able to access them and take the source material and use it in different ways. So to that end, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about the 
NEH grant fund work that you have just completed. I know um, with great help from your colleague, Carol Renard, who was instrumental with you in, in realizing this work. So talk a little bit about sort of generally what that is all about, and then maybe we can get a little bit into the weeds. And I'd ask, let's not do too much in terms of the technical side of it, because um, we'll direct people to a guide later, but just what was your thinking in terms of what this would enable the project to realize? Sure. So, yeah, from the beginning, um, we've we sort of were aware that, you know, there are there's not sometimes certain aspects of Yiddish culture there there's there wasn't a lot of representation, at least on the Internet in terms of um, source material um, that uh, was accessible, especially to to an English speaking audience. Um, so from the beginning, we really wanted these interviews to be out there, to be um, searchable. And so that really, it was that line of thinking that led us to um, look for a way to enhance the access to the interviews themselves and led us to um, to, to apply to the grant from the NEH Division of um, Preservation and Access. And so um, what, we, what we proposed and, and have since completed is doing transcriptions of, of 400 of the interviews in our collection and also creating um, these uh, indices that, are, that allow you to, uh, both of those are tools to allow people to see actually at a glance or reading through the text what is inside the interviews because the interviews are an hour to two hours long and so you know and and as we were saying earlier they cover um a wide range of topics so having having these um these tools is a way for people to be able to search and actually see what is um, within the interviews themselves. And from the point of view of a user who's tried out these tools, um, I'll say, and I'm curious to hear your take on this because you sort of sit on both sides of the whatever desk table. Um, you know, the, the oral histories in and of themselves to listen to are wonderful, but at times you want to sort of stop and go back to a sentence or a thought or, you know, a, a few minutes that in some way resonate with you or might inform you some of the work that you're doing. And I was struck by how helpful it was to have that function. Um, and and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. And maybe, I know I asked you not to say too much technically, but maybe explain how they work in parallel with one another. Sure. So now when you go to the website, if you um, find your way to an interview that looks like it's in, it might it's intriguing to you either for for personal connections or research connections, you can then um, if we have a transcript or index for that interview, it will come up right there on the screen with a search box. So let's say you know you were interested in. I don't know, um, the Yiddish theater on the Lower East Side. And you, you found your way to some of the interviews in our collection that 
talk that touch on those topics. But for 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 you, you really wanted to zone in on what part of the two hours, one to two hours, really talk about that. Um, then you would be able to to search, you know, for Lori's side or you know theater, and and it would pop right up uh, either the section of the transcript or this or the index. Um, what segment exactly? Which minutes of the interview um, come uh, discuss those topics? So it really does sort of what you you suggested. It allows you to zone in on um, the segments of an interview that might be of particular interest. Without having to sit and madly um, type as somebody speaking, <laughs> which um, had been my experience in, prior to this. Um, yeah, it's great uh, to have this. So there are a thousand and growing uh, oral histories at the moment. Uh, and this, this project allowed you and Carol to, to add this feature to, what, 600 interviews? Yeah, so we had the funding to to do um, 400 transcriptions of um, English language interviews. Um, so those those transcripts are now online, fully searchable for those interviews. And then we were also able to do 600 um, indexes, which uh, there for the for since a portion of the of the oral history collection, our interviews in Yiddish and other languages, we did a bunch of those indices bilingually. So for example, if you um, were looking at an interview in Yiddish that has that index, you can toggle back and forth. If you know Yiddish and you want to search in Yiddish, you can, you can do that. Or if you don't know Yiddish, but you want to get a sense of what's in that interview, um, you can look at the English side of the index and it gives you a really good sense of what's discussed in that interview. Each section has a, a little description. Okay, this is going to be, um, it could be a hard question for you to ask, but, um, and not to let anybody who was interviewed feel that they were slighted, but how did you and Carol go about identifying the first round of of oral histories. And again, I'm not trying to slight anyone here, but just if yeah. you're here, because I could imagine it was a challenge. Yeah, certainly. Well, we originally wrote the grant application back in 2015. And, um, you know, we, we wrote the application based on the size of the collection back then. And uh-huh. then, you know, we got the grant in 2017. So we had already grown as an archive. <laughs> Uh, you know, as a collection rather. And then, um, you know, of course, at, we were doing more interviews as we went along these last three and a half years. So we went, we, you know, it was hard to make those decisions. Um, we we tried to focus on interviews that we thought had, um, that would be of particular interest to researchers, but we also sort of more or less went chronologically Um the more recent interviews, you know, I mean, the getting, getting all this stuff out, uh, you know, getting the transcripts done and doing these indices is a bit of work. So um, we weren't able to do it for the, the interviews we had just recorded. So, um, 
so yeah, we have, and then there were, you know, as with any collection like this, there are some interviews that have some restrictions on them. And um, so we, we skipped those, <laughs> um, but we were, you know, when it came down to it and we had to make um, difficult decisions, we tried to uh, look at, you know, which interviews have people been uh, using, which ones do we think um, these tools in the first round would be the most um, helpful to to the public and 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 so forth to researchers. Well, that also explains that I hadn't thought about the fact that it was 2015, and at the at the clip that you guys go down there <laughs> with the interviews, it could grow pretty quickly. Um, so. Again, I mentioned that you and Carol worked on this project together, and, yeah. and you've you've certainly conducted the lion's share of interviews in this collection. Yeah, and well, it's it's been it's been a whole team, you know, all along. So, I um, I I yeah, you've mentioned Carol. I can just say that her role was as project coordinator for this grant. So she was the one coordinating then a bigger even bigger team of um you know transcriptionists that we worked with um interns and part-time staff who were doing the all the editing of the transcripts the syncing to time code um creating those indices all the hundreds of hours of work that that went into all of these cool new features and i should mention too that um our colleague amber um, worked on the web development side, uh, and if you go and look at the website, you'll see it's really it's really cool how these features just fit right in. I know you worked on that too, Lisa. How to get these features to really be um, streamlined into the website? Um, yeah, that, it, that that was a, a fun, um, nice way to do it, and with Cog App. And I guess what I was also driving at is, in, you know, just in terms of your you're having conducted so many of these interviews that you have such a familiarity. I mean, I'll come to you as other colleagues do all the time to say, oh, gee, I'm looking for something about X, and you'll, you know, send back 20 suggested related interviews or something. <laughs> yeah. um, so in terms of them being able to see this project through, I wonder how you, um, and again, I refer to Carol because I know she was so intimately, you know, involved in, all aspects of this. Yeah, it was a, definitely a team effort um, on the part of everybody. But the two of you, did you find that through the transcriptions you were able to kind of relate to some of them or find aspects of them that you hadn't kind of gravitated towards when they were audio only? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um yeah, I think certainly, you know, transcribing things is in 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 is an act of interpretation <laughs> in and of itself. You know, one of the things that was kind of fun was working together to try to figure out what obscure institution or name someone was uh, was talking about, um, uh, and we certainly found. Um, parts of the interviews that that we hadn't necessarily focused on before part of the work was that Carol and I worked together to um, you know 
we transcribed interviews that were mostly in English, but many of our interviews, people talk in Yiddish. So we had to transcribe those sections. And that really led us to those sections of interviews. And we, um, you know, it's, it, it was an interesting way to, to look at segments of the interviews. You know, for example, we noticed across the collection, a lot of people um, have the same favorite Yiddish songs or poems. And, and so we found ourselves um, transcribing some of the same songs over and over um, or, you know, hearing what words um, or phrases people remembered from, from their family. Uh, even if they're not fluent in Yiddish, they might, they often would um, bring those out. Uh, one example that comes to mind is, you know, we have this series of interviews with descendants of Yiddish writers, and um, we one of the interviews we worked on towards the end of the grant was an interview with um, Yvette Hava Marin, whose um, mother was the, the Yiddish poet Malka Lee, and she reads some Yiddish poems, uh, some of her mother's poems in the interview, and and Carol and I just really, you know, fell in love with Malka Lee uh, and her poetry through thanks to her daughter and sort of um, her daughter including those poems in the interview. Well, that's an interesting one to cite. And this was not, <laughs> we didn't talk about doing this um, before you're selecting one, but you happen to mention Malka Lee. And I'll say that interview with Yvette is absolutely just wonderful. I know it was recently posted. Um, it's certainly something that uh, the upcoming issue of Pockentrager benefited from in a lot of ways, and it prompted also a really cool compilation of oral history. So um, it's, it's just always so fun to sort of see what's inspired from something. I mean, in and of itself, the oral history is enough. <laughs> um, so it goes back to that sort of word enough. Um, but these also send us often, or, you know, anybody often different directions. So one aspect of Malka Lee's, uh, the Yvette's interview was, and I believe also part of this grant, was the addition of assets. I wanted to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. So over the years, you know, even since the early days when we interviewed people, oftentimes they would also pull out family albums or sort of precious documents um, that illustrated what they were discussing in the interview. And, and we've, we've always, um, you know, made it the effort to digitize those and document them. But it wasn't until this grant that we were able to integrate those, um, we call them artifacts, but those, you know, photographs, documents, um, just extra materials actually into our website. So now um, it's just another way to, uh, you know, visualize and go deeper and into or go off on a tangent um, from the interviews themselves. Um, one of my favorite examples of that is an amazing woman who we interviewed, Nomi Leaf Halpern, um, who I think recently celebrated her 105th birthday um and 
and she was a, over a hundred when we interviewed her and she in her um younger years had been a dancer and so uh she had these wonderful press photographs of her um you know in costume in her 20s uh and so now you can listen to her talking about her career and then you can also see those images on right on the website so um, that's that's one of my favorite examples where you can uh, visualize it in a different way. Yeah, that, the picture of Malka Lee dancing is an example. And mm -hmm. <laughs> what a treasure it is that you were able to get that um, to enhance that interview. It really brings it to life. Um, so along the way, did did you encounter surprises, discoveries in the process? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, as you mentioned, I've done a lot of these interviews, um, a few hundred interviews <laughs> over the last 10 years. And so I have a lot of these stories swirling around in my head, but revisiting them is always, there's always some, there's often some aspect of an interview that I, you know, hadn't been my focus before. Oh, yeah, I remember this amazing story. So um, yeah, I think there are, yeah, certainly when I was working on the transcripts, I would jot down notes like, oh, this is a, this is a great story we should feature in some, some way, um, in the future. Oh, I forgot about this, you know, the way that this person, um, talks about, uh, you know, their, their love of, um, their, of Yiddish language or, um, you know, a specific memory of going to the Yiddish theater or something there. Yeah. It's hard to really po point to one thing right now because there are so many things are sort of flooding in, <laughs> but, um, but if you have a, a specific type of story, I'm, I'm sure I can come up with one. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, and, and some of that could just be even the process. I imagine as you had to consider and then figure out how to deal with them, that that was an evolutionary process, which, again, only got strengthened over yeah. the course of the project. Yeah, I mean, one of the examples is that alongside um, the transcription and the work creating those, um, indices, we were also collecting, you know, names of, uh, people and, you know, proper nouns basically. And so we, we now have kind of like an, an encyclopedia or a reference on, on the back end of who, who's mentioned in all of these interviews and that, that is really wasn't a surprising aspect of the of the work just to see wow okay these as a collection as a whole really there are hundreds of organization organizations that are discussed um hundreds of authors and and other figures from from yiddish culture that that are mentioned so that was a an interesting way to sort of realize the breadth of the collection and then also i mean for me you know i i love the the details about the yiddish language and so 
um, when we did have to transcribe Yiddish in the trans the transcriptions, um, we had to figure out how to, um, you know, in a transcript, you're trying to really translate the person's voice to the page. And so we 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 um, we worked with Asya and, and our Yiddish language um, experts on staff to figure out, you know, how to preserve the the accent you know, when to use standard Yiddish and when to try to, to um, uh, you know, there's so many wonderful dialects and different accents in Yiddish. So that was really fun to try to um, translate that into the English alphabet on the page. Um, yeah, and, and again, another, uh, maybe, um, maybe a consequence of this that you knew going into it, but... Um, the resulting sort of spreadsheet, and there was a great meeting where you got a lot of us to come down to the Sholem Aleichem classroom, and back in the days when we were together, and look at this incredible database, which, you know, addresses an ongoing thing of variant spellings, the city names um, that are mentioned that, you know, in 1930 it was this, and in 1940 it was that, and, and all of that. It's... Um, it really helps across the organization because there are things that come um, come into play in many aspects of our work, and putting that together must have been something of a Herculean task. Yeah, really, Carol gets the credit for that. <laughs> you know, she's she's really great at organizing things, and um, and she really organ mobilized the whole team that was working on all different aspects of the grant to contribute to that, um, to those lists, and then, you know, worked with our other colleagues to figure out, okay, when you have, and I know you deal with this, Lisa, in, in terms of the magazine, when you have a Yiddish author who, you know, Library of Congress spells their name one way, but Yivo spells it a different way, and, you know, Harvard University spells it a third way. How do you figure out, you know, which <laughs> spelling we're going to use? Um, so, so that whole that whole decision tree um, is always uh, frustrating and interesting to try to to sort out. Um, you know, I mean, and it also reflects on on uh, the realities of of the world that these writers and people come from you know eastern europe uh yiddish was in a multilingual context yiddish language is written in the hebrew character so anytime you're trying to render it into the latin alphabet do you use the polish spelling do you use the english spelling you know and you know when you have a certain sound in yiddish how how do you render that in in the Latin alphabet? It's it's um I think kind of a fascinating uh, representation of that of of where Yiddish is in in the world historically and and now. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking about it, and for our listeners who don't have to get into the weeds with it, it is a fascinating um, topic and one that gets bounced around a lot between all of us um, in, in aspects of our work. But just even the work that you did uh, geographically, if somebody mentioned something in 1939, what was the proper name of a town? And we don't, I don't know that, I mean, certainly when 
I came to the organization, I hadn't considered all of those tiny little details that are so important to the accuracy, and they tell a larger historical story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so especially when you're talking about Central and Eastern Europe, you know, oftentimes a town, never mind, you know, who, what government was in in charge at the time, but depending on the language, you know, you might, the same place, even at the same time, may have been referred to differently in Yiddish and in Lithuanian and Russian and Polish, you know, (laughs) I mean, it really was, again, it sort of reflects that multicultural, multilingual reality that was, um, that was Eastern Europe, um, Eastern and Central Europe in certainly the first half of the the 20th century before the war. Well, I think that's a good way to sort of remind everybody that these new enhanced features are wonderful. Um, The work that went into it is borne out in a lot of interesting ways that I think we've still, you know, yet to discover. And it could be just down to the nuances of how do you deal with names and things like that. There's, there's, There's a lot to glean here. So before I let you go, um, I know I asked you to sort of hold back on a lot of technical stuff so that we didn't get dizzy, and it's easier to see visually, I think, on the website. So there are two opportunities I'd ask you to share. One is that you put together um, a web page um, so that it would navigate people through how to use this, and I'll ask you for the URL. And then this coming Sunday, you and Carol will be presenting a public program. So just share a little bit about that so uh, listeners can find their way to both? Sure. So if you want to look for for the user guide, which really does sort of walk you through all the different ways to search and browse the oral history collection, you can go to the spyglass, magnifying glass, I should say, in the upper right of the of the website and search for user guide, and that should take you right there can also navigate to it through the digital collections and the oral history page. Um, And then also on Sunday, November 15th, (laughs) um, uh, Carol and I will be doing a virtual tour of uh, of all these new features. So um, if you want a live demo, that will be happening at 2 o'clock Eastern on Sunday, November 15th, and the recording will then be added to the user guide um, at a future date. If you can't make it live, it will be on the website and on Facebook as well. And um, I'll just put on my other hat here. Uh, If you would like to be part of the Sunday virtual program, you can register at yiddishbookcenter.org forward slash events. And that will put you in the Zoom virtual theater, which will allow you to ask uh, questions to both Krista and Carol about the work. Um, And also, we will be posting it on the website. So again, to find the information on the website, you can use the magnifying glass and just search user guide. um, And then otherwise, uh, and in addition to, join Krista and Carol this Sunday, yiddishbookcenter.org forward slash events. So, Krista, thanks so much for all of this. Um, Let's give a huge shout-out to Carol and the rest of your team for realizing the goals and the work on this three-year project. It's going to yield a lot of really interesting results. And um, 
Yeah, and I'll just add more. A, a shout out. Thanks again to the National Endowment for the Humanities and for all of for Deborah and Peter Wexler and the other people who um, donated to our match. That was really key to allowing us to do all this work over the last few years. So definitely want to thank everyone who supported us. Absolutely. All right. And um, I look forward to being able to be in the studio where we could be in the studio with Carol as well and everybody else. Um, thanks again uh, and keep interviewing. Okay. Take care. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.